Right now, it's a White Coat Wednesday. Dr. Mitch Shulman joins us. Good morning. Do we have Dr. Mitch? I heard him earlier. He was there. Yes? Dr. Mitch? Howdy, howdy, howdy. There we go. Now we got you. Hopefully, we're not buffered up the wazoo here. Uh, let's start with our first story. Uh, teens who smoke have reduced brain matter. Yeah, now we always know that kids, as they're developing, their brains aren't fully developed. And in fact, until you're in your 20s, some might argue, in, in, anyway, we won't go there. But until at least you're in your 20s, the adolescent brain, the teen brain, isn't fully developed. And that's why they're more impulsive, they're more likely to take risks. Well, it turns out if you look at the brains of kids who start smoking, and this is a study that looked at them at the ages of 14, 19, and 23, certain parts of the brain of kids who start smoking are not as well developed as they are in their non-smoking uh, peers. And then if you follow them through, another part of their brain starts getting underdeveloped that would keep them from being addicted or finding pleasure in this type of activity. So there are definitely brain changes that predispose a child towards smoking. And so I'm not going to say it's not their fault, but certainly we're going to have to do more if we're going to want to help them avoid addicting, becoming addicted to cigarettes and to nicotine, which we know is one of the most addicting substances that there is in the universe. Um, okay, so uh, the order in which you acquire diseases could affect your life expectancy. This is weird. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. So this is in the Lancet Public Health, and what they basically did was look at a huge database and they looked at people who had a cluster of diseases, diabetes psychosis, which is a brain disorder, mental health disorder, and congestive heart failure, where the fluid backs up in your lungs. And they found that the order with which you got these, if you got diabetes first, then developed this mental health disorder, then congestive heart failure, on average, you lost 13 years of life. That's just incredible. Now, for you and me, I don't know how much of an important thing that is because you can't really control what you're going to develop. But from a public health point of view, if you're, I'm your doctor, that means I'm going to keep my eyes open. And if you are diabetic, be especially careful that you don't go down this path to try and preserve as many years of life for you as I can. Caffeine in your blood may affect body fat and diabetes risk. Okay, so uh, should I quit caffeine? Should I give up the coffee? <laughs> Um, be careful about this one. They didn't look at caffeine levels. They looked at certain genes in your body, not the ones you wear, but your genetic code, your, your DNA. And they basically found that certain combinations of genes, uh, of DNA, led people to metabolize caffeine a lot slower. So even though they drank less coffee, there was more caffeine in their system. And as a result of that, they tended to have higher caffeine levels than other people. And then they associated that with weight loss, less uh, body fat, and a smaller BMI. But you have to be careful. They did measure caffeine levels. They didn't ask them, how much caffeine are you actually intaking? They just looked at their genetic predisposition to be slow metabolizers of caffeine. So I don't know whether I would use that as a criteria either to start consuming caffeine in any of the different forms that it exists or hold off. I'd wait on that one. If you're going to drink coffee, do it for other reasons, not because it's going to help you to lose weight. Now, every time I go for a shot, Dr. Mitch, they ask me, am I right-handed or left-handed? And then they put the shot in the non-dominant arm. So I'm right-handed, so they put it in my left, which probably is ruining my golf game. Uh, but apparently, which arm gets the COVID-19 booster could make a difference. 
Yeah, again, this is scientifically interesting. Practically, don't worry about it. And everyone's almost exactly like you. So the same thing, which is your dominant arm. People tend to get vaccinated in their non-dominant arm. So if there's any pain or suffering or swelling or soreness, it doesn't affect their most important, their dominant arm. Okay. So what these scientists did was they looked at certain subcategories of your immune response, uh, your killer white cells, your immune globulin. And they found at the end of the day that a certain population of killer white cells, which you need to protect you, was higher if you always got vaccinated in the same arm. In other words, if both doses, the first and the booster, were in the same arm. Um, but whether that meant you were more protected, whether that meant that the level stayed longer, they couldn't prove any of that. It's just interesting. And it makes sense because you're stimulating the immune system first, the lymph nodes and everything first in that side of your body, in that arm where it drains. So it would make sense that if you re-stimulate the same spot, you might get a more boosted response. But whether that really makes a difference in terms of your immunity and all that, nothing. But what it does highlight, I mean, people take all this for granted, but the amazing amount of science that's been done as a result of this miserable pandemic. Uh, an incredible amount of knowledge has been gained, unfortunately at high cost, but it's impressive to see how much work has been done in such a short amount of time. Thank you, sir. Good to have you. I know you're just going on shift, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much. Have a great morning. Dr. Mitch Shulman is our medical correspondent, but he's also an emergency room doctor, and his shift starts at 7 a.m. today. It's funny talking about left and right-handed, because um, I was just having this oddball memory, and I looked it up, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a genuine memory that Boy Scouts shake with their left hand. And the whole idea of that is that it's closer to your heart. Your heart is not in the center of your body, it's on the left-hand side, so you would shake hands with the arm and the hand that are closest to your heart. But in my own case, when it comes to handedness, I play, I hold a hockey stick left-handed, I golf left, which is oddly enough much more common in Canada than it is in the States. And the theory is it's because almost all Canadian kids grow up playing hockey and it's more likely you're going to play hockey left-handed and then and therefore you become a left-handed golfer. But I play tennis right-handed and I write with my right hand. So it's kind of an oddball, curious thing. And perhaps that explains. I had a pro who said I should learn to play the other way around, right-handed. Um, but, you know, I'm bad enough already. 